Thank you, Charlotte. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, thank you. It's my last day here. <laughs> it's one of our last days here. Thank you. I've gone into old man realm, uh, but that's okay. That's all right. Still feel good. Still look amazing. So, I, uh, right, Jim? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I have enjoyed uh, over the past uh, past year is watching Sam play ball, play t-ball. Uh, you guys have probably had those experiences, and, and it's just a wonderful thing, just joy uh, to see that. Uh, but I've, I've noticed, and I think every t-ball team does this at, at some point, you know, during that first game and maybe during the first two or three or five games, uh, some of these kids are out there and they're playing and they're having fun and, and, and then the most unexpected thing happens, a ball gets hit to them. Uh, and they catch the ball, you know, they, they get it off the ground, you know, they have the ball. And for a while, almost uh, everybody on that team, at least until they learn, until they get into the process, they have this ball in their glove, and they stand there, and they hold it for a while, right? And, and, and I don't blame them for holding it, because what you have is about 50 people telling them to throw it at 50 different places, 50 different times, you know, everybody in the stands, uh, you know, and they're all saying, you know, throw the ball here, throw the ball there, and they stand there with it for a while, and what's going through their heads is, well, what do I do now? right? What do I do now? I've caught the ball. It's in my possession. This is why I'm here. What do I do now? What do I do now? I think a lot of people have that question. I had that question when we come to the realization that we are saved by Jesus. We catch the ball, right? We get it. At this point, we've got it. I understand that I'm saved by Jesus Christ, which is the point. I've got the ball. <laughs> now, now what do I do with it? Where do I go now? What's day two look like? And Paul gets into, it's almost as if we've been waiting for this. It's almost as if we've been waiting for this message. Because I hope, I genuinely hope that up until now, the first four chapters, I hope you've gotten pretty bored with this. Because I hope it's, it's so natural and so normal in your mind. Okay, I get it. We're saved by Jesus, not by me. Not by anything I do, not by anything I can do. Let's move on to some more meat here. And today we start getting into some of that meat. Remember I told you that Jesus, Jesus frees us from the net. We're fish in a net. Jesus frees us. And then Paul is going to teach us how to swim. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for the chance, the opportunity to learn uh, what it means 
to live after your spirit. We ask, Father, that you again, as we always do, that you'll, you'll open our hearts for a moment to, to allow us to, uh, for this to become a part of us, to become part of our very identity, Father. We ask that you'll open our eyes that we may see. We ask also, Father, that you will help us to be true and accurate in every way to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. This is our fifth part in a six-part series. Uh, up until now, Paul has been going over and over and over again how we are saved by Jesus Christ, not by the works that we do. And he, he, he's really, I, I said this last week, he's performing triage. He's, he's got to stop the bleeding with this Galatian church. After that, we can begin to look at what it means to live out our salvation. Or, or after that, Paul can get into the specifics of what it means to have a saved life. And so we begin with chapter 5 today. And he starts out with this message that he's really been talking about up to this point. The purpose of the gospel, the purpose of Jesus. And if you miss this, then you miss the purpose of Jesus. What does Paul say in verse 1 of chapter 5? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Church, if we walk through our entire lives thinking that I'm saved today and not saved tomorrow, might have been saved yesterday, and I'm not sure about the next day, that's not freedom. That's, that's living in fear. That's living in uncertainty. It is to be free. It is to be certain of an eternal life, but it's also to be free to live our lives in the manner of the Spirit that Jesus set us free. Stand firm then, he says, and then do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now, I find this very interesting, and this is where we all need to remember there something we all need to remember. He says, don't be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. In other words, you're unburdened at one point through your belief in Jesus. We don't, we don't forget about that. We don't walk away. We say, okay, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to go on with life. Paul says, no, you're going to be burdened again then with the yoke of slavery if you're not careful. Don't be burdened again with the yoke of bondage. The message of the cross is one of freedom. That's it. I don't know anybody in this room that doesn't want to be free. Yes, it's a message of forgiveness. I forgive, you forgive, we are forgiven. But at its heart is a message of love expressed by freedom. Until forgiveness, we are trapped. We're in bondage, we're slaves. Whether it's being forgiven or forgiving others. We're trapped by guilt. We're trapped by sadness, anger, pride, uncertainty, trapped by separation. Here's a bad one. We're trapped by broken relationships until we forgive. We're trapped by futility. That's why the message of the cross is one of freedom. We're trapped by this unfortunate false mentality that we don't, <laughs> that we don't have the value necessary to be saved. Everybody in this room has incredible value. 
Everybody in this room is made by name for a purpose, for a reason, by God himself. That's what this wonderful family is about. So don't rush back into the yoke of slavery. And look, Jesus' Jesus' yoke may feel a little different than what you're used to. It may feel a little different than what you were taught, you know, by your sweet old grandma, right? It may feel a little different. But just because it feels different doesn't mean it's not better. It is better. We've used this verse multiple times in this series, but I want us to remember Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble at heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what Jesus is getting at, to be yoked with Jesus. Paul goes on to say in verses 2 and 3, mark my words. He gets real serious here for a second. He says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you. Once again, he's putting himself on the line here. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. Let me pause here a minute. Let's make sure we know exactly what Paul is talking about here. Circumcision is pretty common. That's, that's, that's done all the time. But here Paul is using that as an example, okay, as an example of salvation through works or through a work. This is what the false teachers were saying. False teachers that came up from Jerusalem were saying you need to follow the law in order to be saved. You need to do the works in order to be saved. You need to become a Jewish person in order to be saved. And then you can sprinkle Jesus on top of that if you want to. This is why Paul uses the example of circumcision here. It means nothing ultimately. And he's going to clarify that in verse 6. But he says, if you think you're saved by one work, using circumcision here as the example, then you have just committed yourself to all the works for salvation. All the works. From beginning to end, from day one of your life to the end of your life. All perfect, beautiful works for salvation. You've committed yourself to doing it fully. You've committed yourself to doing it perfectly every minute of every day. If you've committed yourself to one for salvation, you've committed yourself to the whole thing. You know how many works there were in the law? 613. I can't even remember four of them off the top of my head. 613. And again, if you want, for our purposes here today in 2021, Russia Vain, you can leave off the law. Works. Perfect works, perfect mentality, perfect attitude from day one until you pass away, until you die. It's impossible to live up to the holy standard of Jesus Christ, that perfection by ourselves. It is impossible. The point is that if we try at any point to work for our salvation, that is to add on to Jesus, we give up on Jesus completely. We said last week, Jesus is not divided. It's all or nothing. What does he say? Christ will be of no value to you. And we don't listen to these words enough. 
I'll tell you, we grow up thinking we've got to do this and we've got to do this and we've got to live right to get to heaven and I'll also accept Jesus. Paul says, if you're going to have that mentality, Jesus means nothing to you. You know what he's saying here? If you want to work really hard to get to heaven, it's as if you don't even believe in Jesus to begin with. It's contrary to what the message of the cross is. Look at the next line. Look at verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law, you who are trying to make your life better by the works that you do, you who are trying to be saved for all time by being a good person, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You're not drawn back to Christ. You're not walking the line so that you and Jesus can come into a relationship together. No, Paul says you're getting pushed further and further away from Jesus. Separation from Jesus. You've fallen away from grace if you wake up every morning and you think, boy, I better walk the line today because if I die, I'm not going to go to heaven. You're further away from Christ than accepting the truth of who he is and what he is. Do we really think for a second that fear in our hearts or worthlessness in our hearts Do we really think for a second that that's what Jesus wants? Quite literally, not on your life. I'd better do it this way so that I can make it drives you further away from Jesus. And why? Because when you are living right in order to be saved, when you're trying to be good in order to be saved, You are putting yourself in the place of God. That's blasphemy. I can do it and I can save myself by my good life. That's no different than saying, I am God. That's horrible. And it sounds an awful lot like that very first temptation, doesn't it? Eat this fruit and you will be like God. I'm telling you, church, it's the same thing over and over and over and over again. The same problems, the same issues of humanity starting at the very beginning. God tells Adam and Eve, I want you and I'll handle the rest. And even in Galatians, we're still struggling with that. Even today, we still struggle with those things. Because it's not through following the rule book that we are made righteous. Look at verse 5. For through the Spirit... The Holy Spirit of God that indwells the believer in Jesus Christ. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness that we've been talking about. The righteousness that we want to attain. The righteousness that will come for which we hope. It's the Spirit of God alone that makes us righteous. Now, we can walk with the Spirit or we can grieve the Spirit. I've walked with the Spirit and I've grieved the Spirit. We can walk with or we can grieve, but it is the Spirit that makes us righteous. We await, not earn, through our trust in Jesus alone. Well, then what does count? Does anything count? Does does anything in our existence count? Does anything in our existence mean anything beyond accepting Jesus? I accept Jesus. I realize he saved us. I've got the ball, now what? Look at verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. So he's explaining that first line. The only thing that counts, well, you better pay attention to that one, right? 
I mean, if God's going to tell you the only thing that counts, whatever follows, I want to make sure I know. The only thing that counts is faith. Don't worry about the rest of that yet. The only thing that counts is faith. Trusting Jesus. How do I live that out? How do I show that? How do I know that I trust Jesus? Faith expressing itself through love. Love for God, love for people around you. And I think it's best uh, described as love to God, love to people around you. We're not just bystanders. There is a response to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. But this is the answer to the question, now what? I have accepted Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus and Jesus alone saves me. Now what? Here's the answer. Expressing your faith through love. What is my response to the salvation I already have through faith? Now we'll get back to verses 7 through 12 because Paul takes a, a break here and yells at the Galatians again. But while he's on this subject... Let's go to verse 13, because that's the same subject. He starts, he starts fleshing this out a little bit. What is the response? What does it look like to this saved life? Verse 13 through 15. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But, and that's a big word. You see, up until this point, there have been no buts in his argument. There have been no therefores in his argument. There have been no ands in his argument. So now at this point in the letter, if he's going to put this word but in there, or therefore, or be careful, or and, or whatever it might be, this is a big word. You're called to be free. We know that from the first four chapters. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That is the sinful fallen person. Because church, the flesh and the spirit argue with one another. They're opposed to one another. They argue and fight. You have no idea. Well, maybe you do. The fights that go on inside of my mind, my heart. The flesh fighting with the spirit. Rather serve one another humbly in love. Yes, we are free. We're free in our belief in Jesus Christ, but freedom does not mean that we turn into animals. Freedom doesn't mean that you lose your humanity or your responsibility. Freedom doesn't mean that you think only of self. This is the proper response. Serving one another humbly in love is the proper response to an already saved life. This is what we're looking for when we ask the question, what do I do now? See, I thought this acceptance of Jesus was supposed to be life-changing. Not just saying yes to Jesus. Paul says it is life-changing. It changes your life and it changes the lives of those around you. John says the same thing. In 1 John 3, he says this. This is how we know what love is. Christ uh, laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And yeah, you could take this to mean laying down the physical life once if that's necessary. But really what John's talking about here is laying down everyday life in response to to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus means, by the way, when he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. He's saying the same thing Paul's saying in Galatians, saying the same thing John says in 1 John. Lay down your life for those around you. This is your proper act of worship. 
Paul says it in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which you already have, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul says this is your reasonable act of worship when we are in this same saved state. All these guys are on the same page. John, Jesus, Paul. It's almost as if this all comes from the same source, isn't it? God is writing his word to us. You are saved through Jesus Christ. Now what? You take that saved life and you serve others humbly in love. That's the distinguishing characteristic between those who are Christians and those who aren't. Those who save, or those who are saved and those who aren't. Their entire lives are focused on humbly serving in love. This is what their thoughts dwell upon. Let me make it easier, even easier for you to understand, says Paul in verse 14, since all of you Galatians are so fixated on the law anyway. Galatians 5.14 says this, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. 613 laws, right? Paul says the entire thing is kept in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Jesus told us that, right? He gave us the answer here. He said pretty much anybody you come in contact with, that's your neighbor. And by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. If you hate yourself, you're going to hate your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Know that you have value, quality, meaning, purpose in this life and treat others the same way. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to follow a command, says Paul, follow that one. Yes, it's hard to do since we're still tempted by the flesh. We're still confined in this sin-filled body. It is hard to do, but it doesn't have to be hard to understand. Follow Jesus. Express love to others. I'm saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. God says this in verse 15, because if you just bite and devour each other, watch out, or you're just going to be destroyed by each other. Whatever, look around. Look around. That's what happens to the world around us. That's what happens to cultures around us when they're living for self. When everybody thinks about themselves, what happens? The entire thing gets destroyed, gets devoured. If you want to live out this righteousness, if you, or if you don't want to live out this righteousness, then don't, okay? But you better ask yourself one very important question. Your very life depends on it. What exactly do I believe? What exactly do I believe? Do I believe in Jesus Christ? Do I believe in the Word of God? Do I believe in the commands of Christ? Or do I not? This isn't something extra. This isn't something you shrug off. Look at chapter 6, 7, and 8. We're, 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 we're going to look at that next week, but just for a second here. Paul's finishing up this same theme. He says this, don't be deceived. God's not going to be mocked. He's not going to be mocked in your mind, my mind, in your heart, my heart. You may think you're pulling a fast one today. Yeah, I kind of believe in Jesus. 
You may think you're pulling a fast one tomorrow. Church, don't forget, there is a judgment seat. Okay? And those who believe in Jesus won't stand in front of it. Those who don't will. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. No matter what you do, church, I don't care what kind of life you live, you cannot bluff your way to eternal life. That's impossible. Let's go back real quick to 7, 7 through 12. We've exhausted that subject for a second. He, t- he took a break while he was talking about this subject. He yelled at the Galatians again. Let's, let's look at this real quickly. You were running, verse 7, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Remember, you were running a good race. If you think you believe in Jesus and you don't have to consider that anymore or think about that anymore or care about that anymore, look at the Galatians. Look what Paul says to the Galatians. You were running a good race and now you're not. You were running a good race. How does Paul define running a good race? He says this about himself. I have kept the faith. He lays out no accomplishments for himself. He lays out no victories, no failures. He says, I have remained faithful to Jesus Christ for my salvation. That's what he means by running a good race. Tells the Galatians, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Some false teacher. Remember from earlier, Paul looks at trust in Jesus Christ. Verse 8, that kind of persuasion that brings you back into saving yourself, that kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you, and it's going to destroy your life and the life of those around you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. It's going to consume your life. If we start to doubt that we are saved by Jesus and Jesus alone, that kind of message, that false teaching, that whispering in our ear does not come from Jesus. That is not righteous. That is not holy. We are saved by Jesus alone. He says, I'm confident in verse 10. Uh, in the Lord, that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, however that may be, or whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. That is eternal separation from God to all of those who are false teachers. Also tells us to take teaching very seriously. But these are folks purposefully leading people away from Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, if I'm still preaching that you can go by works and save yourself, Paul says, why am I being persecuted by these people? Doesn't even make any sense. I don't agree with what they're teaching. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. In that case, they wouldn't even persecute me. Verse 12, as for those agitators, you can read that for yourself. I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You ever heard anything like that in Scripture? Anything like that? Have you ever heard a disciple of Christ speak like that? Do you think Paul's messing around? This is the most serious letter Paul writes to all of the churches. In Corinth, there was sexual immorality. In Corinth, there were people in the church suing one another. In Corinth, there were separations and factions. Yet this is the most serious letter Paul writes to those who think they can be really good and be saved. And we've been taught that for years and we shrug it off. The the most serious language in Scripture is talking about this. That's hard to even read. But God is so serious. So ask yourself, do I still walk in the ways of evil? 
regardless of what I claim. Not tempted by evil, okay? Not tempted by what's bad. I get tempted, you get tempted, temptation happens, but do I make it a practice? Do I not care if I walk in the ways of evil? Galatians 5, we'll jump ahead now to uh, verse 19 through 21. We're going to kind of jumping back and forth here. Paul did a great way in laying it out. I just want to lay it out a little bit different. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, pretty much all the things he wrote to Corinth about. So those things are obvious. And, and by the way, when we read through that, we re- usually read through it quickly because either one, we don't think it applies to us, right? Witchcraft, I'm not, I'm not practicing witchcraft. I don't know if you are. I don't know anybody who is. Or we read through it really fast because we know some of these things apply to us. How many times do we struggle with jealousy? How many times do we struggle with fits of rage or selfish ambition? Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, it sounds like Paul's going back to works. No, he's not. He's trying to show us, he's trying to tell us that we need, we need to be aware of this, that those things he's talking about, this desire of the flesh living after this, is not the result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that guarantees our salvation. So if this is what we think is important, if this is what we live for, or if this is what we don't even care about, Paul says that is not the result of a saved person. This is walking away from Christ, not with Christ. This is not a transformed heart. Remember, this series is called God's New Creation. God is interested in the transformed heart. God's interested in the new creation. You're still living in the old creation. You've simply sprinkled Jesus on top of an old life. This is nothing more than business as usual, but remember, God will not be mocked. Now, do you struggle with these things? A lot of people do. A lot of people struggle with these things, and they have given their life to Christ. They believe in Jesus. Why doesn't that happen overnight? Why don't you just flip the switch? Because there is a process of giving your life over to someone else. That's a hard thing to do. Give your life completely over to someone else. That's called sanctification sanctification, that the Holy Spirit of God begins to transform our minds, our hearts, our priorities, our actions, our attitudes, and we're giving more and more of our life over to Jesus. That's sanctification. You may see things, and this is not an exhaustive list, but you may see things here Paul's talking about that, yes, I once struggled with, and now I don't. And then you may see other things that you say, I'm still struggling with this. That's sanctification. That's the process of purification. Now we jump back just a second to verse 16. Paul says, so, I say walk in the Spirit. Don't walk in those ways. Walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And you're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. You're going to gratify the desires of God, the Holy Spirit. For the flesh desire, what the flesh desires is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do just whatever you want. You are to follow the leading of Jesus Christ. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under a law. You're free. How do I walk in the Spirit? You ever wonder that? Walking in the Spirit is a continuous and habitual way of life. 
a focus of the mind and the heart. And, and if you're anything like me, most days you're thinking about and dwelling upon the desire of Christ, but not all the time, right? Sometimes it's, it's only self. And you realize in those moments, I know I haven't given my life completely over. There's still more of the flesh that I struggle with. Also, when you walk with the Spirit, as you're walking, this is where we get to sanctification, walking suggests progress. Walking, you're going from where you started. The saved state, I believe in Jesus Christ. He saves me. Nothing I can do saves me. Now I want to walk with the Spirit. And so my life begins to get transformed as I give over more and more of this life, as I get to know more and more who Jesus is. That's walking with the Spirit through life. Sometimes, sometimes unfortunately, we treat Jesus, well, I've said this many times, treat him as an insurance policy. We, we, we say so many empty words, I believe in Jesus, and we just stay right here. We never walk. We never want to. We never desire that transformation. That's not why we were created. It's not why you were created. You're created to be ultimately perfect the way Jesus is. A believer submits to the Spirit's control, and that's hard to do. You ever wrestled with that? I have. I have. Usually it's with words. You ever have this, the, the storms that happen in your, in your mind, your heart? Oh, I want to say this so bad. Just give me a chance. Just give me a chance to say what's on my mind. I would love to just, I mean, you know, he just, he set himself up. I can tee off on that one. And the Spirit says, no, no, that's not your job. And John, you're going to listen to me or you're going to listen to yourself. And really walking with the Spirit many times is, okay, fine, right? Because he's in charge. He's in charge. He's in control. We're not. That's submission to the Spirit. He says, look, that's my job. Your job is to show love, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, all of those wonderful things. So will you see a result from the Spirit? Will you see a result from your belief in Jesus Christ? Yes, you will. If you walk with the Spirit, church, these are called fruits, and this is where you get it here in Galatians 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, the results of the saved life, the results of the pursuit of Jesus, what are these things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, by the way, against these things, there's no law in the world. You ever have, uh, you ever been on a diet, you know? <laughs> I've been on about 64 throughout my life. Apparently, they're all broken because none, none of them work. Um, some of these diets, you know, you'll have, you, you can't do this, you can't eat that, you can't have it, you got to, you know, until you get to, like, celery, you know? And they'll say, oh, you can have all celery you want. Fantastic. All right. Fill up on stuff. Well, that's kind, of, that's kind of the way this is. Paul says, you want to live after this stuff? You go for it. There's no limit here. If this is your focus, if this is the desire of your life, think about it. Every day, 
You can live out the desire of your life as much as you want. Forgiveness, kindness, patience, long-suffering. I like that. But a fruit must be cultivated. And a fruit tree must be pruned. If we're going to cultivate this kind of fruit, if we're going to bear this kind of fruit, we need to be focusing on it. We need to be thinking about it. We need to be practicing these things. The Spirit is something you can walk with or you can grieve. By the way, every tree that bears fruit, Jesus says, my Father will prune. Do you know what pruning is? Pruning is so you can bear more fruit. You want to know something else? Pruning hurts. Pruning hurts. And if you're going to bear fruit and you want to bear more fruit, God's going to prune you. And some of those pruning processes are going to hurt as you go through life, but it's meant to build you up and to strengthen you. When a person walks by the Spirit, manifests his fruit. This person needs no external rule book in your life. You don't need a rule book to live by, church. Not if you live by these fruits. Finally, we'll just close with that last verse. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, envying each other. Why? Because the people around you are the people that you love. The people around you are part of your family. I love this family. We argue, we fight, <laughs> we love, we sacrifice. Right? It's what we do. We care about each other. And the entire family of God needs to be, should be, hopefully will be the same way. This incredible love and this incredible giving of one another. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it looks like to be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us through Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank you that we cannot be saved by ourselves, but we are saved by Jesus. But we thank you also that you allow us now to participate. You give us the answer uh, to this participation. We get to respond not in hatred, we don't have to respond in violence. We don't have to respond in, in any of those things. We get to respond in peace, and patience, and love. We thank you for that. We thank you that that's your character, that that's your nature. And so, Father, we ask that we might be convicted today, that we reflect upon our lives. We know that Jesus saves. Now, are we living out that salvation? Help us to do that. Help us as we walk to give more and more of our life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
do have one more service, but if you're uh, working today with VBS, I invite you to stick around, and uh, we'll be working for a little bit after church today, okay? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you once again that we have this gift of worship. We have this gift of, of, of meeting together, of learning, and of sharpening one another. We thank you for that. We thank you also, Father, that we have the uh, opportunity to serve, to live out what we believe. We ask, Father, that you prompt us this week, that you, you give us opportunity this week uh, to live out those things that we profess. And that is a new creation. That's a saved, eternal creation in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name.